Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Romans chapter 12, and this is going to be the last message on spiritual gifts here. Um, And let me remind you again of our definition that uh, we had concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, Spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church, and it is for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. Now here in Romans 12, uh, the spiritual gifts address this part of glorifying God. And how do we do that? We, we do that by using our gifts in a certain way, and that way is through humility. If, I, if you remember last week, we talked about the context of Romans 12, and Paul calls us to have a change of our thinking, and that thinking, that change was in how we viewed the grace of God that has come to us. And within that same context, he's talking about the spiritual gifts uh, that have been given to us. And so it's all through humility. We should not be thinking of ourselves more than we think that we are, right? Um, The grace of God has been given to us. We didn't deserve it. Uh, God has given us spiritual gifts. We don't deserve them. And it's all for the purpose of God being glorified. And when we use our spiritual gifts in a, uh, a way that is through humility, I believe it, it brings about glor- glorification uh, to our Father. Now today we're going to look at verses 6 through 8, and these last three verses, they're going to give us this list of, of the seven gifts. He's going to make a list of seven gifts here. Now some of these we've already talked about. Uh, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on uh, defining these or uh, necessarily looking at them, but he tells us how they are to be used. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Glorify God by using your spiritual gifts in humility. Glorify God by using your spiritual gifts in humility. So let's take note here what Paul says in our uh, scripture He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, see there it is, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now take note of what Paul says here in verse 6. Notice what he says about these gifts. They are gifts of grace. Having gifts that that differ according to the grace given us. And not only that, but these gifts, they also differ from one another. That means that we should never put somebody in a box and say, you must fit this mold in order to serve, in order to be part of the ministry, right? Because there's a difference. None of us are alike. And how we use the gifts differs greatly as well. Because I believe God uses our gifts the same way that we're made up. (laughs) 
He uses our personality, and he uses uh, things about us, even our little quirks, right? He uses all of that. He tempers the body together uh, so the body can grow and mature. Now, this is important to remember because the way we use our gifts, I believe, differ from one another. And when God brings the body of Christ together in a certain way, he knows exactly what the body needs. And so he brings the differences together so that there can be unity in what we have. And this helps us grow and mature, and the result is that God is glorified. This is why humility is so important. We don't deserve God's gifts of grace. We need to remember that God uses the gifts through us to benefit others in the body of Christ. Remember, the gifts are not about us. They're about Christ. They're not about you. They're not about me. They're about Christ. Now, notice also Paul says here, having gifts, what? Let us use them. If you have the gift, if you have a gift, if you have gifts, use them. And so since you have a gift or gifts, you need to be using them. If you have noticed that the time that we've spent teaching through these spiritual gifts We have not given any thought to how to know what your spiritual gifts are. Have you noticed that? Why not? Because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't have a spiritual gifts test in the back of the Bible. It doesn't say here, Romans 12, also turn to Appendix D and find the spiritual gifts form and fill it out, right? It's not there. I believe we find Paul here talking to this church, and if you could put yourself in this first century church, Paul here is telling the believers to use their spiritual gifts. He tells them what the gifts are, but never does he tell them how to discover what their gifts are. I know there are lots of spiritual gift tests out there. Uh, I've even used them before, and possibly you have as well. And I know those tests can be helpful. However, I encourage you not to trust a man-made test and get locked in on a supposed gift that you may or may not have just because you checked a couple boxes. We must remember that the gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. And it's when He decides to manifest them at His choosing and at His time. That means that even though you may not have a gift of mercy, for example, that possibly just at the right time, God may decide to manifest the gift of mercy in your life because you're the available person at that time to be able to show mercy to another. And this is what is so amazing about the gifts that God uses them. And so while God's word necessarily may not give us definitive ways to discover what our spiritual gifts are, I believe Paul's words here in verse 6 are very helpful. Notice what he says again. Having gifts, let us use them. If you know Christ, you have a spiritual gift or gifts. Either a speaking gift or a serving gift. That's the two categories that we've seen as we've looked through all these passages. So if you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, I believe there are some helpful things to kind of know what they are, and and let me give you a few of them, okay? 
I believe there's three easy ways to discover what your gifts are. First of all, get involved in a number of different ways to minister to the body. Involvement is not only limited to Sunday mornings. This can be done throughout the week. But having gifts, if you know Christ, you've been given a gift. Mark it down. It's true. It's there. So just get involved, right? Look for opportunities for ways that you can be involved. And I believe as you begin using the gift, I believe God will direct you, right? A moving car is a lot easier to be directed than a parked one, right? So as you're serving, as you're using your gift, I believe God will direct you exactly where you need to be headed. And I believe also that, uh, you know, God uses the, the desires of uh, things that we do. And so you need to jump in. And as you're ministering, uh, God will redirect you uh, if you need to. And as you serve, you will discover that you enjoy doing some things more than others. You know, God uses our desires to direct us many times. This doesn't mean that you will find your area of gift easy to do. Uh, I'm a vocational elder here. I do a majority of the teaching and preaching. And now I will say that I enjoy teaching. I, I enjoy teaching. I really do. My wife would probably say it's just because you like to hear yourself talk. <laughs> but I enjoy teaching, okay? I enjoy it. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I find it easy to put together messages. I actually find it very stressful and hard. Because you know what? Even though I enjoy coming on a Sunday morning and ready to feed you, you know what happens after Sunday morning? It's over. I go home. Monday morning comes. And you know what? There's a looming deadline. Sunday's coming. And I go, oh yeah, Sunday's coming. What am I going to teach on? What's going to be helpful for our church? Tuesday comes, Wednesday comes. Uh-oh, I still have blank screen here. What are we going to do, right? We're, we're, we're trying to work through these things. And so I enjoy teaching, but I find the whole idea of putting things together sometimes difficult and stressful. Here's the second thing. Take note of when you begin using your gifts, how your ministry impacts others. I think this is a good way to discover what your spiritual gifts are. And so as you're serving, take note. Take note. How is this gift I'm using impacting others? Is it bringing an impact? Now, this may not always be the case because I believe we see several times, even throughout Scripture, people that were using their gifts that God gave them, and they didn't receive any recognition. They didn't see, receive any applause, but I'm sure there was an impact. And so the applause or the, oh boy, you're just so great and wonderful, um, may not come even though you're using your spiritual gift, but take note of how that gift is being used uh, to make an impact upon others. Here's the third way. What do you complain about in the church? 
If you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, what do you complain about in the church? People tend to complain in their area of giftedness. People who uh, think that things ought to be done a certain way possibly have the gift of administration. And so when they see the church not doing things a certain way, they go, what is the church just doing the things? Well, then get involved, right? Be a part of that, okay? And so if you're complaining about something, um, the chances are that that's probably an area of giftedness uh, that uh, you have. So it's important to take note of that. So let's take a look here now at the seven gifts that Paul makes mention of here. We're going to kind of go through them here uh, pretty quickly, but uh, highlighting a couple things about them, all right? Here they are. Number one, if you have the gift of prophecy, use it with humility in proportion to your faith. Now, we've already covered prophecy quite extensively, and so we're not going to explain all of what prophecy is and how it's to be used. If you want to know what prophecy is, how it's supposed to be used, you can uh, refer you back to the previous messages that we went through out of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and uh, 14 there. But take note of what Paul says in connection with prophecy, because I think this is important, okay? The one who has the gift of prophecy is to do it in proportion to his faith. What does that mean? What does that mean when he says that? Well, the prophet must not be governed by their emotions or their love of speaking, but must only speak what God has given him to speak. And I think we clearly saw a lot of that out of uh, 1 Corinthians 14. There's a time to keep silent, right? But also, the prophet must speak everything that God has given him to speak, not holding back difficult truth. You know, this is one of those areas that I, I think that um, we, all of us tend to find ourselves in, especially when, I think we all like the idea of truth, like, yeah, we want to hear the truth, we want to hear the truth, we want to hear the truth. But then when it comes time to actually speak the truth into somebody's life that you love, right? Sometimes we find that hard because there's that fear of, they're not going to receive it. They're not going to listen. They're not going to like what I had to say. They're going to hate me, whatever it may be. But Paul here clearly says, look, if you have the gift of prophecy, you need to use it in connection, in proportion to your faith. And so we need to sometimes speak the truth, not holding back difficult truth. Also, the message of the prophet must be in line with inspired Scripture. Right? We're not babbling off crazy stuff over here and crazy stuff over here. It must come in line with what Scripture says and be in line with what Scripture teaches. Finally, most importantly, is the prophet must speak in proportion of his faith in connection. If you look at verse number 3, he talks about, For by the grace that has been given each according to the measure of faith that God has, been, God has assigned, in other words, Paul is referring to the faith of the prophet. He's saying the prophet must be careful to trust in God and not go beyond what God has given them to say. And so they're trusting in God. God, I'm trusting you. You're wanting me to speak this, to say this, and I'm trusting you. 
I'm not going to add extra stuff to it. I'm not going to, I'm going to trust you in uh, what you have given me to say. Now, I do believe that this gift of prophecy can be very valuable to the church. And, and as I said, I'm, I'm open to it being exercised in a very careful manner, in a biblical manner. Um, and, you know, if, if, somebody, if God has revealed something to somebody, right, I, I believe that that should be used within the church uh, biblically. And we should do it in the way that, as what Scripture says, that the, the, the prophecies must be weighed by all, right? It must be given into account by all. Uh, so I think that those things are, are very important. So here's the second thing. Those that have the gift of serving should serve with humility. Remember, again, this context, this whole passage, not thinking of yourselves highly than you ought to think. So if you've been given the gift of serving, you need to do it with humility. If service in our serving is what Paul says in verse number seven. In other words, if you are a servant, then do it. Just serve. Just do it. The gift of service often takes place behind the scenes, but if it's not done, everyone notices. You know, we have individuals that do a lot of things around here on our church grounds, okay? Uh, we got individuals who clean. we got individuals who help with the mowing of the lawn. Um, Joellen gets together snacks for everybody on Sunday. I guarantee you, if you came in on Sunday morning and your natural inclination is to walk in the door and turn right to the snack counter and you saw that it was bare, you would go, where's the snacks? Right? You would notice. Right? And so there's a lot of people that do things, they serve, they, they help with service. I mean, what about even in the back? I mean, you know, we all sing the songs and, you know... The words are clicking through, but if the right words are not up on the screen, you notice what's going on there. Somebody's asleep back there, right? We notice. And so serving is very important. It's a very valuable gift. This is, this is one of those bread and butter gifts. The gift of serving is valuable. You know, if we went to distribute communion elements, but no one had brought the juice, nobody had made the bread, Nobody assembled it, put it together. We would all take notice. But there's a lot of behind-the-scenes things that take place uh, to allow the body of Christ to function together. And so the church is made up of faithful servants that help in so many ways. And without their ministry, the church would suffer greatly. And so if you have the gift of service, thank you for serving. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for serving behind the scenes when nobody even may not notice. And I just want to encourage you, continue to serve. Continue to use that gift, however God has gifted you. And so if you serve, uh, then do it. Just continue to serve. Thirdly, here's the third one. If you have a gift of teaching, teach humbly. Verse 7 again, the one who teaches in his teaching. After telling Timothy not to neglect his spiritual gift, Paul goes on to tell him in 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16, he says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them 
so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. And so teaching doesn't come easily. Just because you're gifted in teaching doesn't mean that you shouldn't work hard. There should be toil. There should be difficulty in drawing out those things out of Scripture to teach. If we are going to humbly teach, then we must remember that we are not the know-it-alls. The growth of individuals does not depend on what we say, how clever we are, or how eloquent we speak. I think this is clearly taught as we see the, uh, uh, the example of Peter and John in Acts 4.13. As they were speaking, the others, they said, oh, we perceive these men to be ignorant men. But they were astounded at what they had to say. Why? Because they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. See, that's what makes the difference in the teaching there, right? They had been with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. Oh, yeah, anybody can get up and probably motivate you and give you a lot of cool things to say, right? But this is where it's at, right? It's not what we say. The growth of individuals doesn't come in what we say, how we say it, how eloquently we say it, right? It all depends on the fact of, have we spent time with Jesus? Can we point people to Jesus Christ because we have spent time with him? And so if you have the gift of teaching, teach humbly. Here's the fourth one. If you have a gift of exhortation, humbly exhort. Verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. Now, there's obviously some overlap between the gifts, I believe, in teaching and exhortation. I believe those two kind of tend to go hand in hand. Not always, but I, I believe that they can go hand in hand. Is exhortation the same as teaching? Well, I believe there's one difference. Okay? Let me give you a quote here by John Murray. As teaching is directed to the understanding, so is exhortation to the heart. Conscience and will. All teaching should contain some element of exhortation or application of the truth. God's word is not just meant to fill our heads with information, but to transform our lives. And so when we talk about exhortation, we are calling people to make a decision. We bring them to the truth, we, we, we lead them, we guide them, we direct them to truth, and we say, here's the truth. What are you going to do with it? You have to make a decision. You cannot remain idle in this, right? That's the exhortation. It's calling people to make a decision to change their life, to say, stop going this way. You need to start going this way. Stop thinking like that. Start thinking like this. That's the exhortation uh, that uh, Paul is talking about here. Here's the fifth one. If you have the gift of giving, give humbly with pure motives. Verse 8, the one who contributes in generosity. The word translated generosity may also be translated as liberality. You may see that if you have a different translation, liberality. 
That's the only time I actually believe the Bible calls us to be liberal. <laughs> you can be liberal in this area, right? <laughs> it may mean simplicity, where the idea is that he must give with pure motives. The one with this gift must not use his gifts manipulatively to gain power or status. I think this is one of the reasons why I love the, give, the way that we do giving here at the church, right? Uh, we have the uh, box set up back there. Uh, maybe you've been to a church, and, I, and I'm not saying that this is wrong. I'm not saying that just because they do it this way, no. Um, you know, where they pass the plate or they pass the, the bag, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and sometimes I, I believe that that can be as, a, as an opportunity, and I'm not saying just because a person does this that that's their heart, but sometimes it could be one of those things where you're looking and you're going, oh, they gave that, oh, they gave this, oh, they gave that, right? And so I like the fact that we have that set up back there where people can just give and to me, it's almost in secret, you know? And so if you have the gift of giving, right? I believe all Christians should be giving, but I believe God sometimes gives an extra measure gift of giving, right? In a person's life where they are just generous, right? The giving should never be done in a way to try to manipulate people or try to gain status, I'm going to give this so that way I can gain this, right? To try to grab things. Because that's not the way giving should be done. He should give to the Lord to meet legitimate needs. And so when you hear of a legitimate need, you should be giving towards God uh, to that way to help others. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire to plot to cheat to try to get ahead, right? What did they do? This was a negative example of their giving, right? They sold some land. <laughs> they kept back a portion of it. They go, oh, this is what it is. What happens, right? They died. They cried. The offerings all went up, right? So here's them. It's a negative example of that giving. God knew what they were doing. He didn't fool them one bit. And so if you, if you have the gift of giving, give humbly with pure motives. Number six, if you have the gift of leading, lead humbly and diligently. The one who leads with zeal is what Paul says here. To lead means to give aid or engage in good deeds. We see this Titus 3, 8 uh, and also verse number 14. But most commentators understand it here to mean to lead. And I believe that you can lead with good deeds, right? Like you're, 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 you're showing good deeds. You're showing how to behave uh, in front of others. Paul uses it this way to describe church leaders in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, including both elders and deacons. He calls them to lead in a certain type of way. With zeal or diligence means that you can't be pa a passive leader, you must take initiative, whether in leading your family or the church. And men, God has called all of you, if you have a family, if you have a wife, if you have children, God has called you to be a leader 
in your home. And so that means you can't be passive about it. You can't just say, well, I'll just let the wife take care of it, right? No, she's expecting you to lead. And so you need to lead. And so you need to take up the leadership that God has called for you to do. And so don't be passive about it. Leaders must see problems that need attention and work through others to provide solutions, giving appropriate oversight. And so if God has given you the gift of leadership, right, use it. Use it appropriately. Use it if you see problems, right? Say, hey, I'm going to help in this. I'm going to address this. I'm going to take care of this uh, in a way that will help benefit the entire church. Here's the last one. Those with the gift of mercy should humbly show mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 8, the one who does acts of mercy, how is he supposed to do it? With cheerfulness. People who are suffering can tell whether you're there helping them as a duty or because you genuinely care for them. They can tell. They know. When showing mercy, show a cheerful countenance. It adds face value. A cheerful countenance helps point them to the Lord as their strength. And so you're not all gloomy, right? You're, you have a cheerful countenance, and you're there to point them to Christ in the midst of their suffering. We all suffer several times, sometimes. If you haven't suffered, I'm sure you will sometime soon. And so when you do suffer... You need the body of Christ to help you. And so if God has given you the gift of mercy, use it humbly with cheerfulness. A cheerful disposition leaves the suffering one with hope. Now let me give you some summarizing thoughts here on spiritual gifts. And, um, you know, even if you don't agree with all the details that I've, I've shared, we should all agree uh, with some practical implications of Paul's teaching here, okay? Here they are. First, there should not be any bench warmers in the body of Christ. Every member has been given some gift, and the Lord didn't give you a gift to bury it and wait for his return. So if you're not serving, look around, figure out what needs to be done, and get on with doing it. And so having gifts... Let us use them, okay? Secondly, God graciously gave us whatever gifts we have, and we should not boast in our own gifts and belittle or criticize those who don't have the same gifts as we do. We don't deserve them. It's a great privilege to serve the Lord who has saved us, and you need the gifts of others. So receive their ministry and affirm them for doing it and serve the Lord and His church with humility. And so I would encourage you, you know, this is part of the whole thing with the body of Christ. Um, I encourage you, you know, if another believer is trying to serve you, and, and this, is, this is a problem, I believe, in the American culture that we live in today. We're so, so individualistic, right? Like, we don't need your help. I got it, right? We're over there struggling with the couch. Can I help you? No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Right? 
If somebody is trying to serve you, let them serve you because they could probably possibly see a need in your life. And so welcome it and allow it, okay? Here's the last one. Don't be envious or complain. Don't envy the gifts of others. God made you who you are, and what he gave you to do is important for the functioning of the body. And so we should cooperate, not compete with each other. Because the body is what? One. Having gifts that differ, right? There's all these different members, but it all comes together as one. And so let's cooperate with one another not compete. Well, that's it. That's all the teaching there on spiritual gifts, right? So do you know what your gift is? If you do, I encourage you to use it. If you don't, just start serving, and may God use it to help the body of Christ uh, to grow together. But let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.